0: Looking for exciting video content, live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's
1: voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com.
2: Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now, here's your host, Mary Woods.
3: Welcome everyone to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods. I'm your host today. And today we're going to be talking about um, mindfulness and the treatment of addiction. And our guest is... Dr. Zev Schumann-Olivier, and he is a research fellow at Massachusetts General Hospital Center for Addiction Medicine. He is currently funded by NIDA to study mindfulness and smoking sensation, and he's an addiction psychiatrist who graduated from Tufts University School of Medicine. And he's a very talented and... um, experienced physician, and I'm sure you're all going to enjoy learning about mindfulness and addiction treatment. Um, welcome to the show, Dr. Olivier. Well,
4: thank you very much for inviting me, Mary.
3: Um, Zeb is uh, someone that I'm familiar with, so if it's okay, I'm going to call you by your first name.
4: It would be a okay. pleasure. Thank you. Okay.
3: Could you explain to our audience just briefly what is mindfulness?
4: Sure. Well, that's a, that's a good question. I'm sure our audience has heard a fair amount about mindfulness in the in the media over the last couple of years it's becoming more popular um, there are several different definitions of mindfulness but um, one of the most common definitions is um, mindfulness is uh, paying attention on purpose to the present moment without judgment um, there are other definitions as well that would that that all include this idea of praying, paying attention. Um, uh, on purpose in the present moment um, with other aspects like um, curiosity, openness, or acceptance. Um, uh, but uh, the most popular definition, at least in the scientific world right now, is, um, is with that quality of non-judgment.
3: So um, being able to kind of have, in the addiction world, we say have your head and body in the same place at the same time. So, being very conscious of what you're thinking, feeling, and, and where you are? Is, is that it? Or yeah, is but, yeah, but
4: it, it, it's making the conscious decision to be aware of what's happening right now. Okay. Um, no matter how uncomfortable it might be or, um, or how confusing it might be. But um, trying to stay with what's happening in the current moment with a stance that accepts what's happening in the current moment, that's not trying to make it go away and not trying to have something else come and take it away, uh, but to be able to be with it and with a curious, open, um, a, a curious open viewpoint, looking to see um, what, is it, what is it that's going on right now.
3: So if I'm in recovery and all of a sudden I have the, a tremendous craving um, to have a drink, so how would mindfulness help me in that situation?
4: Well, that's a great question. Uh, there have been, actually been several studies that have demonstrated that, that it can be helpful in, in that regard. So um, there's, uh, uh, um, the experience of craving uh, is a uh, kind of a chain reaction of thoughts, feelings, and urges that occurs in the body that slowly actually builds over time, even though we might perceive when that craving is there that, that it's just come immediately and there's nothing we could do about it it actually often starts out somewhat slowly even somewhat subconsciously as they might say and then builds and builds until it reaches our conscious attention and the only time that um, that, uh, that we actually feel that kind of frustration and and discomfort that comes with the craving is when we actually can't act on it immediately because the the, um, the normal habit that, that um, That we would have played out has been frustrated or stopped um, by our noticing it. Um, So, uh, how mindfulness might might help in that in that process is that um, in in a couple different ways. One way is that earlier and earlier in the process of that building wave of craving, um, you're you're able to notice that the craving is starting to build, and instead of It becoming kind of an automatic chain reaction in your thoughts, feelings, and urges that builds that craving over time. You're able to potentially um, uh, uh, just allow it to allow it to start to pass away. Usually, craving um, when when it's initiated either by by the availability of a, of a drug or an alcohol or by a cue, or like a person, place, or thing that's related to our previous use, um, um, whenever, whenever it's initiated, there, there is this kind of slow um, actual building process that, that occurs. And with mindfulness, you, because you're learning how to pay attention in the current moment without judgment, without trying to push it away, but also not going with it, but just being curious about what, what's there. Um, you're able to start to, to see the, the, um, the beginning stages of the craving as it builds. And, and, and because you're not trying to push it away, and not resisting it, and because you're not going with it and getting swept away by the wave, you're actually able to, um, as they say in, um, um, in relapse prevention, you're able to surf the urge or surf the wave. Um, and um, that concept of urge surfing actually comes from, from mindfulness originally. Um, so, so, so that's one way
3: it's really interesting because um, this this really requires some actual skill I mean it would require skill for me to be able to stop and think about what exactly it is I'm feeling and the thoughts behind it um, and so are there certain techniques that we teach folks to to learn
4: this Well you're absolutely right that it it takes it takes time and it's a process um, often we have we have learned our drug or alcohol using skill very, very well with many, many, many repeated times that we've supported that ha- habit, and therefore the circuits in the brain that support that habit become very strong. It's almost like a superhighway that you see the cue, and it's like an on-ramp to a superhighway, and before you know it, you you end up where where you know maybe where you don't want to be. Um, but it's a um, it's, it's because that that's become a very strong. Um, pathway. Um, when you first start doing mindfulness, it's a very, um, it's a very new thing, and um, and is not a strong pathway. It be, it's difficult for a lot of people in recovery initially to start to pay attention to the current moment. I, I've in fact had supervisors um, uh, during my training who said that they thought that perhaps mindfulness was impossible for people in recovery. Um, be, and I, I happen to disagree with that because I've seen, I've seen, you know, obviously seen differences. But I do think it starts off often as a, as a challenging thing. Um, but um, as, as you begin to practice and practice, what happens is that, that, that brain pathway that learns how to pay attention to what's happening in the current moment in this particular way, without judgment and without reactivity, um, starts to get stronger and stronger and stronger, and, and that gives you more and more abilities to be able to. Um, to be able to stay in that current moment and to be able to surf that urge.
3: Um, it seems to me like there would be a, a certain amount of um, ability to tolerate distress while you're learning this, right? You would have to learn how to be okay, I'm feeling this craving. I don't, it's I'm really, really uncomfortable. So you've got this physical uncomfortability while you're trying to retrain your mind.
4: Yes, yes. Well, and um, there are. Uh, I, I think it is it's very important to, um, to, to know that, um, that there are ways to be able to, um, that if you start to have this kind of distress, as you say, um, that um, mindfulness offers many different types of skills or techniques that you can try to, to be able to see if you can tolerate that distress. If in certain situations that it's not working for you, then you might not be fully ready to be able to use that specific skill yet, and there might be some other skills that may be helpful for you. Um, one of the things that I think is, is important, and has that kind of been an area of research for me, is, um, is that mindfulness. Uh, the majority of mindfulness research so far to date has really focused on people after they've stopped using and have entered into recovery. And so they have some, some skills, and they've stopped that active process of, of using. Um, and, and in those situations, it seems to be particularly helpful. Um, I've been interested in my research specifically in, in whether or not my could be used to actually stop using um, and whether or not that would make it more effective in the long run. And, um, and uh, I, I think there is a difference between, um, between those who have stopped and therefore aren't really using the substance for, for um For distress at all times versus those that that are kind of caught in it still.
3: So when we're thinking about um, the whole concept of how people change, and if we look at the stage of change model, people who are pre-contemplative and who are contemplative um, in their thought process really aren't changing their behaviors. They're really learning um, how to make their decision or developing the, the information to make a decision to change their behaviors. So mindfulness, if we're looking at the stage of change model, it would be for, we look at this primarily for people who may be in preparation or action or maintenance mm-hmm. who
4: have made a decision to change and have already begun to adapt their behaviors. Right. Well, that's exactly right, Mary. So um, in what, as I said, one of the ways mindfulness might help is in this kind of, in this method of surfing urges or being becoming aware of what's going on when, when the craving has arisen and then letting it pass without getting swept away by it. Um, and, then, and then it's becoming more and more aware earlier and earlier in the process of the craving so that eventually it passes away. But, but, there, but there happens to be, uh, um, um, during when people are pre-contemplative or contemplative, mindfulness also plays a role in a different way um, because one of the aspects of mindfulness is becoming increasingly aware. And, and and learning how to monitor um, both your your thoughts, your feelings, and your behaviors. So as you become more aware of of what is happening for you, you start to be able to make more connections and um, between um, often the harms that are occurring with the um, with the substances um, that that you've been using. Um, and, and you know this is something that that I. Um, That uh, I could talk about a fair amount. We happen to use the uh, kind of a diary card format um, in order to have people start initially starting to track um, the relationships between the triggers, their craving, uh, and their uh, their experiences. And um, we'll be right back.
3: And we'll be right back um, to talk more about the diary card and other tools um, to learn mindfulness um, after this commercial break.
2: steps to a healthier you voice america health
1: and wellness dr michael borders said we have each been given our own worlds to organize and cultivate bearing responsibility for life's fruit bearing activity is a task that is made less difficult by creating relationships community and life history on purpose Join Dr. Borders every week for Growth Process Integration, where he will help you apply this principle through your own spiritual communication. It's a journey of the heart, heart of self, heart of community, heart of the universe, and the heart of God. Tune in Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Do you remember what life was like when you were young? Having the mobility and ability to play all day and then sleep through the night without needing coffee in the morning? For the majority of us, gone are those days. But they don't have to be. Transforming Health with Brad King will show you how you can awaken your youthful energy potential and live a disease-free life of abundant energy and vitality. Transforming Health is broadcast live every Wednesday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness.
3: Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods, your host, and our guest today is Dr. Zeb Schumann-Olivier, who is an addiction psychiatrist, and he's also a fellow, um, he's a research fellow, actually, at Massachusetts General Hospital Center for Addiction Medicine. Um, He also has a NIDA grant to study mindfulness and smoking cessation, which we will get to um, eventually in our our show, before we went to break, we were talking about um, mindfulness and how we could use this intervention at different stages of change, and um, Zeb was saying how most of the research has been done for for people who have already made a decision to change, and that he's been interested in learning about mindfulness and and how we can adapt that to people who tend to be um, ambivalent about changing or who really don't think right now it's in their best interest to change. And Zeb, you were talking about a diary card that is one tool that you use to help raise consciousness for people. How would one do that if if we're trying to raise consciousness? How would you implement a diary card?
4: Um, so what, what we generally do in our groups is, um, so if, for instance, for, for smoking cessation, we have everyone keep a, keep a log of every cigarette that they smoke um, and the trigger that, trigger that, that led to the smoking and their level of mindfulness um, that they had um, while they were smoking. Um, so that's something that, that we do for smoking, where people have decided they want to stop, but, but really are kind of ambivalent about whether or not they can and, and whether or not they fully want to. Um, so um, that, I would say that most of those folks are contemplative. Um, when, when we've worked in a we had a, kind of a group for people that were more pre-contemplative in the terminology you're using, um, uh, where we um, basically every week have people come in and um, each day they fill the diary card. um, On on it is um, tracking their substance use, um, whatever it was that they um, they may think may... So either they or somebody else might think is a problem, um, as well as um, uh, their uh, their emotions, and um, and often what happens is people are able to start to to um, start to engage in this self-monitoring, um, and uh, this self-monitoring is not that different actually than what people might talk about in DBT or CBT. Um, but one of the things about mindfulness is that, that um, it, it it often is a um, it often it, it brings a certain spirit. Of self-monitoring, um, and openness, curiosity, and acceptance for whatever it is that's there without judgment. So, whereas people, in, um, whereas I've done this kind of monitoring in CBT frameworks, um, cognitive behavioral therapy frameworks, and people often, you know, feel that they're judged or feel embarrassed about about what it is that they're doing, and that self-criticism often keeps them from being able to engage and actually pay attention to what's there. Um, Using the spirit of mindfulness in in the treatment often allows people to be able to actually see what it is that's that that is going on more easily um,
3: It seems like um, mindfulness, much like motivational interviewing the spirit in which it's done is almost as important as the technique mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: is that true i I think that's true i think that is true um, and uh, and and so there there is the the spirit, the spirit of it, um, as well as the, um, the actual techniques, and so there are multiple different techniques that, that we use to help people to pay attention um, to the current moment. Um, initially I'll, I'll use these kind of diary cards and charts just to have people, you know, get interested and have some kind of awareness. Um, for people who, who um, have difficulty paying attention to what's happening in their mind or in their body because whatever is happening is so upsetting or so difficult to tolerate, so distressing, then often we'll, we'll ask people to start practicing mindfulness with external sensations, things like sounds or, 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 um, or touch, um, um, things, that, things that are not necessarily in, inside their body or inside their minds. Um, and people often start to get the um, get the hang of, of how to pay attention in this particular way. And then once they start to do that, then we can start to pay attention uh, and do things that many people are more familiar with, as connected to mindfulness, like paying attention to your breath in a in a breath meditation, or or a um, or paying attention to your thoughts in a in a in a meditation on uh, a mindful mindfulness-based meditation on thoughts.
3: Um, I think it's really important um, to also for a lot of our audience that, um, you know, more and more we're asked to do things that are evidence-based practice and that are based in um, research or, or, for lack of a better term, biology. So how how does mindfulness work in the brain?
4: Mm, very good question. So um, there are a couple of different things that, that mindfulness, we think, will be doing in um, biologically, physiologically, and, and in the brain, um, the, the first thing, which I think everyone is, is pretty aware of, is, is the, the, um, the relaxation effects that often um, come along with, with mindfulness or with meditation. And, and these aren't necessarily specific to mindfulness. There's any types of um, meditation that where, where you're bringing your focus onto the, into the uh, onto a specific um, uh, a specific attentional focus um, will have these kind of effects, um, which which leads to kind of um, improved um, stress uh, management and uh, a, a decreased stress response. Um, and so we do see those. We see that with mindfulness as well. And, and Judson Brewer at Yale conducted a study um, that was published, you know, last year where he did physiology on people um, in recovery from cocaine use and cocaine and alcohol use and, um, and found that compared to the treatment as usual, the folks who did went to the mindfulness training had real physiologic differences when read, um, uh, stories about, about stressors personalized stress stories they had real differences in their in their stress physiology just after eight weeks of training um, there are um, there have been multiple studies that have been done on um, on, on mindfulness, look, looking at uh, maybe what's happening in the brain with mindfulness. And what people have found is that there are changes in certain areas of the brain um, with people that have been practicing mindfulness for long periods of time. And this is really very interesting and compelling because it suggests that mindfulness may be one way that you can, by doing something over and over and over again, you can actually change your brain for the better or can change your brain in a, in a healthy way. Um, um, one of the things that, that that's been discussed recently by many neuroscientists is that addiction is represents a staged neuroplasticity of the brain. So the brain changes with substance use, or with any kind of. Um, with any kind of repetitive um, behavior that has an addictive quality, and the reward system in the brain starts starts to rewire and remodel, and as do the habit circuitry in the brain, um, and 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 potentially as well some of the uh, the interoceptive circuitry, which is the, the the way that we sense body sensations, all of these circuitries start to change in the brain with with ongoing. Substance use, especially, but probably with with behavioral addictions as well. Um, and what we're able to see in mindfulness that some of these very areas that are that are um, altered for the you know for the potentially for the worse in, in addictive um, and addictive habit patterns start to start to um, these are the areas that we see but then often see potential changes in 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 mindfulness. Um, one area in particular is the, the insula. The insula is a little island um, that, that's hidden inside the brain, and, and um, that's insula means island. And it actually had been kind of overlooked for many years. But it, it's the place where we where we sense these subtle body sensations. Um, and it's been shown that, that people with, uh, with meditation experience um, actually start to um, have... Uh, Increased uh, growth in that area, and um, and have increased activation, um, and and that that area happens to also be involved in, or is has been hypothesized to be involved for a long time in emotional decision making, and impulsive decision making. Um, so that, that people that that often choose um, short-term rewards over long-term. Over long-term greater rewards, short-term smaller rewards over long-term greater rewards. That often those people have some kind of dysfunction in relationship between the front, the bottom front of their brain called the ventromedial prefrontal cortex, and this area, the insula, which which is um, which is where we are able to become aware of the, the sensations in our body. So um, you know, a lot of people are hypothesizing that that. Um, one of the things that mindfulness might do is make you more aware of what's actually happening in your body. And these things that may be subconscious, as they, they call them, Damasio call them somatic markers, um, those m- may actually be, um, you might become potentially more aware of them with ongoing meditation experience. And and, and I think that kind of overlaps a little bit what I was talking about with the, um, the earth surfing, the becoming aware earlier on about what's happening in your body. And, and, and as you become more and more aware of what's happening, both in your body and your mind, you gain more control. You're able to, to be able to um, have more autonomy and, and more control of your system.
3: It seems like this is um, once somebody develops these skills it's very empowering because you you begin to really learn about who you are physiologically and what your responses are to things and that i think on some level this must normalize for people like when when i see this i feel this and this is how my body reacts so that i would sense people would feel very empowered once they got the hang of it
4: yes well you you know you, you um you're talking about, you know, a slow developing of insight, and um, the mindfulness work has many different lineages. There are many different places where people have come to study mindfulness, but one um, one kind of traditional area that that mindfulness uh, scientific research draws from is from the um, uh, the study of. of um, meditation for insight or Vipassana meditation in the traditional sense and, and, and I think that's the same idea of what you just said, this idea that, that over time by paying attention to what's happening in the current moment, you start to develop more and more insights, you start to be able to make connections between things that are happening for you and as that process picks up more and more you become more and more aware of what's happening for you and, and, um, and I think and what happens also is that, that Okay, um, and that uh, relaxation um, that uh, can also support that the um, can support the process.
3: And we'll be right back um, after this next commercial.
2: Steps to a healthier you, Voice America Health and Wellness.
3: Welcome back, everyone, to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods. I'm your host today, and we're talking about mindfulness and meditation and substance abuse treatment. And our guest is Dr. Zeb Schumann-Olivier, who is an addiction psychologist, and he is a research fellow at Massachusetts General Hospital Center for Addiction Medicine. He's also... Um, He has a NIDA grant to study mindfulness and smoking sensation. And in our last segment, we were talking a lot about um, how mindfulness uh, affects the brain and how we can understand the benefits of mindfulness by um, looking at brain imaging and how over time using these skills is very empowering for folks, and it also is a tremendous um, relapse prevention tool as well. And one of the things that um, uh, I've learned about is informal mindfulness and there's different things that that people learn to um like we have halt is hungry angry lonely tired, and mindfulness there's rain and sober and could you explain to our um, audience what those
4: acronyms are for sure well um I, I should say that that these two acronyms come out of two different um uh, mindfulness tr- uh programs for for um, addiction treatment um and uh uh, I, so there is this, this acronym SOBER, which comes from a program called Mindfulness-Based Relapse Prevention, which was developed um, in Alan Marlatt's lab at University of Washington, um, with uh, and with, with Sarah Bowen um, uh, there. And um, this st- SOBER stands for Stop, Observe, Observe what happens, Breathe, and so you're bringing your attention inwards to your breath, and then and then begin to expand your attention back out to everything around you, to your situation, and then respond appropriately. And, and that's the idea that when a craving comes, instead of, instead of reacting automatically, that you'd have this, you'd, you'd have the, instead begin to develop this habit, this habitual response um, of, of, um, of becoming aware, noticing your breath, and then bring your attention back out and responding um, in, in a way that, that you felt would be skillful uh, in that moment. Uh, RAIN it, um, it is, uh, is what we use in, in, the, in the smoking cessation program um, that I've been um, collaborating with, with uh, Judd, Judd Brewer at Yale. Um, and th- this stands for um, recognize, um, acknowledge and accept, investigate, and note. And so the process that, that we work with our, um, with our tobacco smokers um, is that when, uh, when you notice you have a, an urge or a craving, um, just recognize it's there. If you don't recognize that the wave is coming, it's going to knock you over. There's no chance that you can get on it and, and surf that urge. If you, uh, But if you get on it and you don't want it to be there, you want it to go away, you're angry that it's there, you wonder, why, is it, why do I keep having these cravings? Why can't I stop thinking about the alcohol? Um, then it's just going to build and build and build. That's just... That's just the law of nature, that's the property of, of craving and urges. Um, but if you acknowledge that it's there and you just accept that it's there, and this is where the mindfulness comes in, you're accepting, this, this, is, this is what I have right now, I have, I have a craving right now. And then you begin to investigate, what is going on for me right now in my body? What's going on for me in my mind? And and we start by teaching people um, this uh, on a daily basis. They practice for the first couple of weeks this body scan technique of just becoming aware of your own body. And what happens is people often are very cut off from their bodies. They're not aware of what's actually happening in their bodies, the tension in different places, the various different sensations. Often people will note either tightness in their throat or some feeling in their belly or some feeling in their chest or their heart area or maybe sweatiness in their palms, whatever it is. But generally people have a stereotypical body response that actually starts um, very early on in that process of that chain reaction of craving. And so this investigation starts to help people become aware of that. Um, so you investigate that, and then you just keep noting that it's there, that you're having these sensations. And by just noting them curious with a curiosity, not trying to push them away, but also not letting them sweep you away, then what happens is for some reason they just start to dissipate. They start, they start to fall away, and the craving becomes weaker and weaker. And each time that you practice rain this is what our our smokers tell us and what we experience ourselves when we use this for for our own own addictions um, is that that each time you practice it, you become that much more confident in doing it and and you become that much more aware earlier and earlier on in the process of what's happening so that 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 wave becomes smaller and smaller and smaller smaller, um, until actually you end up becoming much less bothered by the craving and and it becomes a much less frequent uh, experience.
3: You know, it's interesting because I think a lot of people, when they come into treatment, and a lot of families think that um, when someone goes through treatment, then, quote-unquote, they're cured, and that when people start to feel triggered or they start to feel um, a craving to use, I think some people feel like, like ashamed or that they failed in some way because they're having these feelings.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, and, I, you know, I, I think that, that are absolutely right. Most people... <laughs> Um, for most people, once they've gone through treatment, that's when the real battle starts um, internally between, um, you know, you're at different moments. It, it, you can't, you can't, you try to cut things out of your environment. That's what people, you know, will tell you to be successful. You try, try to limit your exposures to various different cues, limit your high-risk situations. But then people often feel like it's just a constant battle because, because there will be cues in the environment and there will be these cravings that will come. Um, that's automatic. It's not something we do, it's just something that, that our brain has been primed to do through the training it got earlier during, during the times that we were using. And, and what ends up happening is that, that it starts coming back um, and, and we start fighting with it. And, that, and the more that you fight, and the more that you want it to go away and not be there, actually the worse it gets and the harder it is to fight. And, and so a lot of people end up just saying, I just was tired of fighting. I was tired of fighting. But I think mindfulness offers a way to get out of that fighting. Um, instead of going up straight up against um, you know, this, this massive gorilla, you figure out how to, how to kind of dance with it. And, um, and, 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 you, and you, let it, you let it kind of uh, you know, fall down on its own um, instead of trying to push it over. Head to head.
3: You know, um, with mindfulness, um, I think that you've talked about using it with smoking um, cessation. What has been your experience with the effectiveness of it
4: um, with tobacco smokers? Good, good question. So, um, interestingly, I should I should tell you about actually the very first study that was published on a mindfulness uh, type of meditation and. And um, substance use. There was a study that was done by Alan Marlett in um, in the Seattle uh, North Reha- Rehabilitation Facility, which was a minimum security jail. And they actually had something like 100, 173 people go through this study, um, where everyone had to do uh, everyone who enrolled um, in in the study. Um, uh, I think there were 60 people in that, out of the 170 that, that went through the actual meditation course, which was a 10-day completely silent retreat um, while they were in the jail. And, and what they found was that there was a, a relationship between course participation and follow-up measures of marijuana use, crack cocaine use, and alcohol use at three months. So it seemed to have a, a, um, a, a strong effect, and this was published in the um, Psychology of Addictive Behaviors, I believe, in 2006. Um, one of the things that um, that was interesting was there was no relationship between the course participation and tobacco use. So whatever seemed to be working for these other substances didn't seem to work very well for tobacco use. Um, so that's one of the reasons why, uh, why Judd Brewer and I both were very interested in working with, with smokers um, to see if we could understand that. Um, we have some hypotheses right now um, we, uh, that that um, are looking very interesting. We haven't, we don't have any, any data to, to publish yet on, on this topic though. Um, though Dr. Brewer, um, I believe, just published a, a paper that that showed that at four months. The, the people that had gone through mindfulness training as opposed to the CBT training the, um, the, the, the gold standard CBT training um, that there was a, a much higher level of people that that had not relapsed um, in the to smoking in the mindfulness group so they same not quit by the end of at the, the end of four weeks but by, f- by three months later um, I, 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 I believe that all seven of those that had quit in the mindfulness training group stayed quit, whereas whereas this six out of the seven people in the CBT group ended up going back to smoking by by week four. So one of the ways that that we we understand this potentially is that um, it, it may, if you quit with mindfulness, you're, you're likely more likely to be able to stay quit for good um, when it comes to smoking.
3: Um, I know I first learned about mindfulness when when I um, began to learn about dialectical behavioral therapy. And after our next break, I'd like to talk about some other um, illnesses that have been um, benefited from the treatment intervention of mindfulness. So we'll be right back after this commercial to talk more about mindfulness and um, addiction treatment as well as mental health treatment in our next segment.
2: Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness.
3: Welcome back, everyone, to One Hour at a Time. This is your host, Mary Woods, and our guest today is Dr. Zeb Schumann Olivier, who is a research fellow at the Massachusetts General Hospital Center for Addiction Medicine. He's an addiction psychiatrist, and he also has a NIDA grant to study mindfulness and smoking sensation. In our last segment, he was um, talking to us about his current research with uh, mindfulness and uh, smoking sensation. And um, how the results aren't in yet, and um, I think most of us are aware that no dialectical behavioral therapy. That mindfulness is, is certainly one of the modules that um, people learn about and go through in dialectical behavioral therapy. And Zev, are there other? Um, I mean, it seems to me like this would be a nice intervention for people who have anxiety disorders. Is mindfulness being used for folks who have anxiety
4: disorders? Um so uh, my, mindfulness actually be uh began in an evidence-based way um um uh, through a, a couple different a couple different formats um and one format was mindfulness-based stress reduction which was Jon Kabat-Zinn's uh, program in Worcester, Massachusetts um and specifically Demonstrated um, effects of mindfulness um, of mindfulness training uh, on uh, on anxiety and helping with people with anxiety disorders. The dialectical behavior therapy program that uh, Dr. Linehan um, developed has been very effective and and is widely distributed and and is I, I think currently um, uh, the best uh, the best the best option for um, for uh, substance users who are seeking out um a, a mindfulness approach um, uh to, to recovery right now because uh, it, it's it's been the most widely distributed um, and it does a good job of, of uh, especially for pre contemplative and contemplative people for for helping to to bring awareness of the potential harms of, of these behaviors um, as well as the connection to emotions um, and and it does give it does give a um, uh, it, it does does bring that that mindfulness uh, piece to the um, to the program. Um, more recently, there's been some second-generation therapies that have been developed, like mindfulness-based relapse prevention, which has begun to spread more widely. Um, and um, uh, it, but but one should know that even the, the basic um, standard cognitive therapy of relapse prevention really has has a lot of of uh, of, of uh, it, it really draws a lot in its origins from. From mindfulness, um, there there are some other um, therapies out there that also are uh, inspired by by mindfulness and that and th- that use it as a, as a core skill. Um, acceptance and commitment therapy, which has be- been becoming more popular recently, and spiritual self schema therapy, which was actually a um, a program that I was involved with um, that uh, that used uh, mindfulness and cognitive therapy. For um, for people on methadone.
3: So as you're as you're talking about all this, I I just have I'm really curious. How did you get interested as an addiction psychiatrist in mindfulness?
4: <laughs> well, that's a great question. I, I actually maybe it goes maybe it goes the other way. I um, I um, uh, was in medical school and um, began to get interested in addictions, and at the same time. Um, um, began my own interest in in uh, mindfulness and and meditation, um, and I started to see where they could overlap and and where it could be helpful with um, really changing these automatic habit patterns of the brain that 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 people develop that can become um, that can that can become hurtful and damaging to us and we we might want to stop but can't um, and um, and mindfulness. I found, uh, you know, um, can offer a a way to 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 help people with that. Um, In that in that study, when I was that was actually um, while I was still in medical school, I I worked on a spiritual self-schema therapy project at Yale. Um, And one of the things that we found is that after the 12-week program, that uh, that those who had gone through the program said that they they felt less impulsive. They felt like they had more motor control. over the course of of that time Um, and and therefore felt like they had more control over these kind of high-risk behaviors that they had been involved in.
3: Um, You know, I I don't know whether you and I have had this discussion at another time or I had it with someone else, but um, are they beginning to look at um, using mindfulness techniques with
4: folks that have thought disorders? Um, That's that's a good question. So I, I think of I think of um, mindfulness and thought disorders as kind of the, the new frontier for mindfulness. There's been very good established work that's been done with mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, and that's also been widely disseminated now throughout the country in research, and, and um, there's been some very good uh, training programs. Um, and uh, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy for depression based on Zindel Siegel's model from, um, from Toronto. Um, uh so there've been lots of people that that are are thinking about and trying to figure out how do you potentially bring this into the in, into working with psychotic disorders um um and and i think you know it's something that that i'm interested in looking at, at, at as well um one one has to be careful um because mindfulness whenever you're working with mindfulness you know just like with any intervention there's might be a dose effect so a low dose may not be effective um um and uh and you know It makes the people at risk even. Um, Too high of a dose, one of the things that um, could potentially cause some side effects. And one thing that people find is that um, if people don't have instruction and get very high doses of of, of mindfulness, or I wouldn't say mindfulness, but very high doses of meditation, um, um, and they don't really understand the mindfulness aspect of it. Well, there have been um, there have been reports of people having, you know, psychotic experiences or disassociative experiences or things like that that have been uncomfortable for people um, on certain types of you know meditation retreats. But I would say that that in the in the um, in the, the the therapeutic realm when when mindfulness is being integrated into these different into these different therapies um that 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 generally the the, it, the what we're, what we're trying to aim for is that that middle that middle dose that that dose that's appropriate and that and that's helpful and that and that meets people where they're at um i, I you
3: know i, I... I think this is all really exciting because I think it's empowering for folks. It's non-pharmacological, which I think is really good considering um, the the toxicity of a lot of medications that that people take um, to kind of rob Peter to pay Paul. and And I think this just gives folks a chance for to learn something that that's helpful and empowering. and um, I think it 's really cool so i 'm glad you 're doing this work and i 'm um, sure we 're going to learn more and more about it um, in the next few years
4: yeah well i I, you know, I want to say I guess one one more thing um, and it kind of pulls on what what you 're talking about is that um, I really see that mindfulness is one way of creating therapeutic neuroplasticity, and, and what I mean by that is you know it 's one way of using of, of using your own mind to heal your brain and, and to actually change your your brain circuitry so, so that it would be healthy and what what you need to do that um, you know, if you if you had a history of addiction um, what generally happened is you were doing something almost every day maybe even several times a day again and again and again that changed your brain circuitry in a way um, um, that, that 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 was leading to suffering and what mindfulness offers because it's so easy and and you can do it so many times during the day paying attention to the current moment non-judgmentally it allows you to do something repetitively again and again that can be healthy and that when you're stuck or you don't know what to do that you can go back again to this kind of safe uh, uh, safe mental framework and what happens is over time you start to be able to create more, more healthy neural circuitry um, through that repetition and eventually as you start practicing it starts actually start, start, um, it starts coming up on its own um, so um, you will just start to become mindful in your daily life
3: Um, Practice, and um, we know that recovery is a marathon, not a sprint. And um, for those of you who um, are listening, we're at the end of our show. But I just would like to introduce. Um, all of you, to uh, Dr. Zeb Schumann-Olivier, who is our new medical director in our Medford office in Massachusetts, and we're thrilled to have him there. He's going to bring us um, great information and a whole new set of clinical skills that um, we're really excited to learn from. So welcome, Zeb, to Westbridge, and thank you for doing the show.
4: Thank you very much for inviting me, Mary.
3: Um, Have have a good week, everybody.